Hey guys, what's happening? Thank you for joining me, my hunting and fishing brothers and sisters. On this, Chase Outdoors, the podcast, I'm your host, Justin Geike. Want to take a moment and just give you a heartfelt thank you. Here we are on episode four, and the feedback has been awesome. I appreciate every in-person text message, Facebook messenger, positive feedback we've gotten. That encouragement really means a lot to me because you know, what we're trying to accomplish is just spreading the story of hunting and fishing and talking about some of the gear and tactics that we use to help make your time uh, in the woods and on the water more successful. That's, uh, that's a big deal to me. Uh, not just because we are a sporting goods retailer, both on e-commerce and storefront, that's Chase Dash outdoors.com but because we live it you know we just were passionate about hunting and fishing here in our home state of wisconsin and traveling abroad whether it's saltwater fishing in florida you know hunting mule deer out west we just we love love this sport and if you're uh, new to the podcast we ask you please by all means join us be part of our family hit the subscribe button hit the follow button uh, it's going to be easier starting now with this podcast because this week we were approved with iTunes and with Google Play. So whatever platform you use to uh, reach your podcast, you should be able to find us on there now rather than just using the Podbean app or podbean.com. So that's really, really cool. That should uh, help get our podcast uh, out to the masses and only further our reach and opportunity to spread the passion of hunting and fishing. Uh, but here we are, we're gonna talk about this week by talking about last week first. In last week's podcast, I was talking about the Wisconsin whitetail rut and where we were at in that rut. And where that was, was in my opinion, the lockdown phase, that part where the bucks have been running around, they found their receptive does, they are, are locked down with those specific does, breeding them, and that the people that were having success with mature bucks were bucks that had already bred a doe and were on the search looking for the next one. And uh, apparently by my place, I was right, because I had talked about a, um, a blown opportunity with a nice 10-point whitetail that I had had trail cam pictures of that I screwed up by not having my toasty toes with me by getting cold and getting out of the stand rather than sitting there all day like I had planned on. And uh, literally, as I'm recording the podcast last week, that, uh, that deer was harvested by my neighbor, Dennis, to the south of me. And I think it's super awesome. I'm really happy with Dennis. And for every person who just heard me say that and is like, Ah, he's full of it. He's not happy about it. Hey, listen, do I wish I would have shot that buck? Yeah, absolutely. Anyone who goes out and pursues a particular individual whitetail is always going to wish it was them when somebody else gets them. But that doesn't mean that you can't be happy for your neighbor. I, I, I love Dennis. He's become a great neighbor, a friend. We have uh, enjoyed sharing trail cam photos and conversations and stories with each other. And it's only enhanced my enjoyment of owning my property. So Dennis, congratulations. I absolutely am happy for you. You and I both know that there's still some other really good ones running around and I hope we both get one uh, this weekend in the Wisconsin gun deer season that's coming up. We're definitely talking about that today uh, because here we are. It's November 20 something. We're two days out of the gun deer season. It has been crazy. The store's been swamped for a lot of different reasons. There's people buying all of those disposable items. You know, they're, they're getting the gutting gloves and the hand warmers. They're maybe uh, getting themselves a new compass because they lost theirs. There's a lot of magazines 
getting bought right now from guys who had lost theirs last year and maybe forgot about getting the replacement one. Also people too running into sighting and problems at the range, getting more ammunition um, or maybe new scopes because they weren't happy with uh, what they were seeing when they were looking down range. And one of the things that comes down to is there's always a rat race for people getting guns sighted in that didn't do their preparation by shooting earlier in the season. I like to do a lot of my firearms range time earlier in the year, like in the months of uh, April and May when it's still a little bit cool out. Uh, and it's our first kind of opportunity to get out to the outdoor ranges here in Wisconsin. We deal with our nine month long winters, but um, I really like spending a lot of time with my guns then. That way, if I'm running out just to take a shot or two this time of year when it's what's busy, it's not uh, typically an all day adventure. But if it becomes one because you bumped or dropped your gun or something moves, one of the tips I wanna give you is about DIY bore sighting. Now we have a lot of people bring their guns into us and ask them to bore sight them for them. And we do that, we provide that service. And uh, we use a Wheeler uh, Engineering laser bore sighter. It's magnetic that just clips on the end of the barrel. It's a very nice tool. The problem with that is, is we run into people that say, well, I was still off by two feet or three feet. It wasn't even close. And the hard thing is, is to verbalize the fact that it's not the fault of the person doing the bore sighter. It's not the fault of the laser bore sighter itself. It's just the imperfect system for a bore sighter tool like that. And what a bore sighting is, is, is a method to get the scope aligned with the bore to get you closer when you're sighting in your rifle so you can hit the target, make your adjustments, and not go through as much ammo trying to get zeroed and dialed in, okay? So the problem with this style magnetic bore sighter, really all bore sighters, is if you don't have a perfect crown or end on your barrel, which could happen from rust and pitting, from time and wear, from lots of shooting or machining imperfection, then you're not gonna get that proper alignment. And if, if we or anybody else does a bore sight with this method and it is right on or really, really close, that's an indication that you've got a good, clean, square bore. If it's off dramatically, that's generally an indication that your crown on your barrel is not perfect or at least perfectly square in alignment. So that's where that comes from. If you don't have a bore sighter and you have a single shot muzzle loader or bolt action rifle, you can do something at the range, which is generally you know, the original foundation of a bore sight. And what that is, is when you take the bolt out of your bolt gun or you break the action open on your single shot or your break action muzzle loader, and you look clean down the barrel. You've got an empty chamber, looking down the barrel and you're gonna move that gun on the vise to line up so when you look through the barrel, it's right on the bullseye. And typically I like to do this at like 50 yards. And then once that barrel view is on the bullseye, you look down the bore and all you see is the bullseye of the target, you then don't move the gun and adjust the crosshairs on your scope to land on the same spot. So we have now aligned the crosshairs on your scope with a view down your bore. And that's a really great way of bore sighting your rifle if you're in a pinch, if you're an emergency out at your land and something happens and you're trying to get dialed back in, that's a, it's a great way to help you get back on bullseye very quickly. So that is a big deal. It's a huge part of the, you know, the emergencies, if you will, 
that follow the last couple days. But it's such a big deal, and people take it so seriously because the Wisconsin gun deer season is unlike any other season that I've ever participated in. It is truly way more than just about harvesting deer. And if you've done anything in Wisconsin before, any kind of event, you'll just realize that our culture does celebration really, really well. I think UW-Madison's been voted the uh, party school of uh, the country many, many times. If you've ever been to a Packer game at Lambeau Field or a tailgate at Miller Park for a Brewer game, you'll understand Wisconsin people do it just a little different than other places. And our gun deer season is no different. There is just so much heritage, tradition, and camaraderie. It's the time where the kids come from you know, the big cities that far across the country from where they live, they come back, they deer hunt with the dad or their mom or their entire family or their friends, spend Thanksgiving with the family and, uh, and head back home. It is just one of those deep-rooted passions and traditions that really keeps hunting strong and alive here in the state of Wisconsin. In fact, we have almost 700,000 participants, making us one of the largest gun-toting militias in the world. And it's amazing how year after year, how largely safe we as a whole participate in the season. You think of all the shots that are taken and how truly genuinely rare a, a death or injury is, I think is something to be really appreciated. You know, and what we're finding now is the biggest risk that we have for health and safety during our gun season is just being fat and out of shape. We have guys croaking because they... Uh, are not taking care of themselves all year, and then they try to uh, drag a 150-pound carcass out of the woods, and they have a heart attack and kick over. And I don't mean to kind of laugh and joke, but I mean, you know, that's truly one of the biggest risks. So one of the things that we can do is if, if you are handicapped in hunting public land, some of them you can get permits to make sure that you can use that ATV to recover game. Make sure that you're not being proud and trying to overdo it, but taking the opportunity to get help if you need it. A lot of guys like to use ice fishing sleds uh, and to put the deer in there, and that really helps uh, keep down on the friction, which makes it easier to get deer out of the woods or just get help. But we don't, we're not even gonna talk about exercising and being in better shape for it. You know, let's, let's just forget about that for a second. But make sure that maybe, it, whether it's a deer drag or anything that you can do to make it easier for you. And also, too, this wasn't always legal in the state of Wisconsin, but it is now. The quartering of an animal to get them out of the woods is also legal. So, you know, if you've got to break an animal down and take more trips with less weight, you can totally do that. And there's just, it's not part of the culture here. It's not part of the tradition. So we're not seeing that done like we do in other states, especially like out in the West. But quartering game is now legal here. So uh, if you have physical limitations, then we should absolutely exercise that. Um, another thing from safety too, obviously blaze orange is a required part of our garment, not just a hat, but you also need uh, a certain level. There's also uh, blaze pink is now legal and I get because it's trendy and popular, especially for the ladies. But from what I've seen, I don't like it. Uh, the the shade of pink is not always uh, congruent, and I do not believe that it is bright or as, as visible as the blaze orange. And I understand it's, it's trendy and it's popular. For me, I don't want anything to do with it. Not just for me, but if I had a daughter, 
which I don't, I would still have her wear blaze orange because I think it's a better performing garment. I think it's safer. The other thing is obviously tree stand safety. If anybody knows me, you've known that uh, I had a violent tree stand accident, uh, absolutely a life-threatening experience. And because of that, I'm a huge advocate of making sure that we're wearing our safety harnesses at all times. When we're up in the tree stand using a life line uh, to have it ascend from the top to the bottom so you're always connected to the tree. But if we get into the culture side of things, if you've never experienced a Wisconsin gun deer season before, to truly understand it, you really need to go on iTunes or you need to go on YouTube and type in bananas at large, 30 point buck. Can any of you guys from Wisconsin who deer hunt, you're laughing right now or one of the thousands of people that come up from the Illinois there, uh, those guys, that, that's our anthem, man. Like it is, it's absolutely our anthem. So make sure you listen to that song so that you know what you're dealing with if you come to Wisconsin to gun deer hunt one time. It's also, too, it's one of the most non-resident friendly. It's over-the-counter. It's a, uh, I think it was a $160 tag, making it one of the lowest-priced non-resident tags. We have a lot of public land, and it's just, it's a great place to come and deer hunt. We've got a really strong deer population. Not every part of the state is as good as the other. Uh, generally speaking, I would say south is better than north, but there's also a ton of land access and less pressure to the north, so you can be successful anywhere in the state. You know, another thing too, just talking about the time of year, is our nine-day gun season wraps around the front and rear side of Thanksgiving, so it can fall on many different dates, whereas states like Wyoming, certain units are always on the 1st or on the 15th. It changes all the time. And this year, we're on the 23rd, where sometimes we're on like the 16th or 17th. And I think for this year, what that's doing is having a negative impact as far as where we're falling within the rut. The rut is really starting to taper off. There are definitely going to be deer that are going to be harvested based off of the conditions of the rut. So I still think it's a great idea to take your calls, your grunt tubes, your um, your bleat cans, your rattling antlers. I think it's a great idea to still continue to use estrus scent, not only as an attractant, but as a cover. Those are certainly really good ideas to still do. Please do not take a decoy into the woods. That's a very dangerous, terrible idea for the gun season. Do not do that. Um, but as far as the other methods for attracting deer during rut, phase, absolutely highly suggested that you consider doing those things. There's still going to be deer chasing does looking for does. So let's maximize that capability and opportunity by taking those things with us. The other thing that time-wise on the calendar that I think is even a bigger problem is that we are a further week removed from Halloween. And you're like, what does that have to do with anything? Think about it like this. If Gun season starts on like the 16th, which I think is the earliest that it can start. We're only 16 days removed from Halloween. And what that means is when you go into your kid's trick-or-treat jar, there are still Reese's Peanut Butter Cups and Snickers. And at worst, like Milky Way slash Baby Ruth. Maybe some Kit Kats. I don't know where those fall in. You get to this time of year where we're starting on the 23rd, you're looking at Tootsie Rolls and Sweet Tarts. And like, that's it. And really, I think one of the keys to success during gun season is just being in the woods as much as you can. Because it can happen at any given point of the day. It can be rut activity, it can be food related, but there's a lot more people in the woods that are taking 
uh, stealthiness a lot less seriously than, than bow hunters typically do. And if it's colder, they're getting out earlier or getting out for lunch or the Packer game is on. Like there is seriously a, especially throughout the course of the week, a major decline in hardcoredness from opening weekend to the rest of the seven days, no doubt. So those people can be spooking deer to you at any given time. And one of the keys to being in the tree stand for a long period of time is having snack game be super strong. So make sure you might want to think about like a couple days left, go dig through that jar, see what's there. If not, make sure that you're getting to the grocery store and strengthening the snack game. And you know, it's a great opportunity to go ahead and comment on a link what kind of uh, snacks that you love. For me, we're always really heavy on the beef jerky. We're always really heavy on the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, but grandma's always really good for making a sandwich too. But the other thing I love about gun season is just deer camp in general. We've lost some of that in our family just because of timing. You know, uh, grandpa's getting older. It's just him and I. Chase is uh, seven or eight now, so he's not, uh, we're not participating in deer camp the way it we used to. But growing up, it was always go to grandma and grandpa's, grandma making this great big stew dinner in the camaraderie of the stories. Deer camp for a lot of other guys is, is uh, you know, dilapidated shacks out in the woods with card games and, uh, and a lot of fluid consumption. Uh, there's probably a lot of uh, farts and, and uh, smells and burps and jokes and laughter and stuff like that. Um, I see that Paps timely just put out a 99 can pack uh, just in time for the Wisconsin deer season. Definitely a part of that. There's a lot of people who participate in the deer camp without even stepping out in the woods to hunt. You know, it's just hanging out. Some guys are camp cooks. Some guys are just really, really lazy. But the important thing is that we're getting together in the hunting culture, sharing the camaraderie of friends and family and having a good time. You know, for me, one of my favorite times during gun season. I got a lot of great gun hunting stories, but I was on my property and we didn't really have uh, deer camp that year because my grandpa was physically laid up. So it was just be me by myself for the first time. And that really stunk. I did not enjoy it. Um, I mean, I'm always happy to hunt, but it just didn't have the same allure that going and staying at grandma and grandpa's did and you know the old stories from hunting the north woods in the 50s and 60s and the ones that got away like i missed out on all that my wife did a really good job trying to uh, uh make it feel that way at home but it certainly wasn't the same so i'm out at my place by myself and uh, my buddy brian was kind of in a similar situation and he invited me to come out and hunt his property with him on sunday night so i said yeah i'll come and do that so I head out and I'm sitting on a logging road and he's sitting on his food plot and I can only see onto his food plot, you know, just, just the width of the logging road. You know, and this plot's like three and a half acres or something like that. And I'm sitting all night and I don't see anything. And I stand up at the end of the night, stretch out a little bit and just stand for the last couple minutes. I stand around and I see this big buck standing on the food plot. And the only spot where I can see it, it's like 150 yards away from me. It's like 50 from Brian. And uh, I'm sitting there just waiting for him to shoot. I'm like, man, why isn't he shooting? Like, it's right by him. I'm like, is he sleeping? Is he looking the other way? Finally, I hit a, hit a spot where like, someone needs to shoot this. So I stand up, I pick up and I, and I shoot this buck and and I get down and Brian gives me a high five and a big hug. He's like, hey man, great buck, you know, and I'm just super excited. I'm like, dude, why didn't you shoot this thing? What was going on? 
And he's like, well, I uh, saw this buck come out on my food plot and I was uh, watching him walk right towards me. So I felt no rush to shoot. So I'll let him get to me. He gets about 50 yards from me and he's like, I think I'm going to shoot you now. So I lift up my gun. I put the crosshairs on him. I flip it to fire and bang, somebody else shot. <laughs> and so I, uh, I totally sniped the thing from under, uh, underneath him. I felt absolutely uh, terrible about it. Obviously he didn't care. We laughed about it, but it's just, it's a, it's a great memory and it's just part of gun season that I absolutely love. So I've actually got to get rolling here. Like I said, the store's crazy busy. We've got a lot going on. So just remember if you are getting out there for the Wisconsin gun season, as always, safety first, make sure that you take advantage of the opportunity to get on that last little piece of rut action without question, make sure you're taking your extra sense out here. Also, the other thing too is just there's no substitute for time in the stand. Get as much time as you can, do whatever it takes by dressing properly and equipping yourself for handling the changing temperatures that we're dealing with. Might be some rain, so make sure we're looking at waterproof stuff. Also make sure, don't forget the toasty toes. You might end up like I did last week, scaring them instead of harvesting them. And as always, God bless you. Good luck on the water. Good luck in the field. We're going to talk about ice fishing really soon. We also got to get together with the Jollies, Brett and Jen. They just got back from a two-week, two-state mule deer trip. Uh, employees of ours, they uh, shot three really nice mule deer. And we certainly want to talk about that out-of-state experience with them. Hey, make sure, subscribe, like, appreciate it. Good luck out there.